Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran. I'm Rosalind Erskine and you're listening to this year's Yarrow Squad at Shetland's main Upheliar Festival, singing the Upheliar song at the Market Cross in Lerwick on the morning of the big event. Producer Kelly and I went to the island to hear about its exciting food history and future when this bucket list event was taking place at the end of January. Thanks for joining us on another culinary adventure in Scotland. So we're in the galley shed with Ryan Leith, who is the galley foreman, and we're going to find out a little bit about what's about to take place tomorrow. So Ryan, could you just tell us, for anyone that doesn't know, what your role is in in Napelia? Yeah, I'm the galley foreman, so my job is to organise the workers that build the galley each year. So we start in October and uh, it takes about four months to build the galley. The boys have just finished it this morning. The galley is a replica longship. The lines were drawn in 1949 by a local boat builder and we've kept the design the same since then. It's got shields on it and oars and a mast and a hide in the tail. Uh, so it looks like a dragon, that's the idea. Yeah, so it's it's a sort of ombre, really nice blue this year. So how how do you decide the colours and what is the significance of the colours? Yeah, the colours is decided by the Yarls. We built the ship to the same design and then the painters take over after New Year and it's up to the guys of the Yarl to decide what colour scheme he's going to go for on the galley and uh, it usually matches his own suit or the suit of his squad. So again, for anyone that doesn't know, could you just explain the squads and how all that happens? Yeah, the squads, there's 40, a maximum of 47 squads, I think there's 46 this year. So the Yarl squad is the main squad, that's the ones that dress up as Vikings. There's probably 50 or 60 people in the Yarl squad, so that's the main uh, thing you'll see. And then there's the other 45 squads this year are made up of geysers that are following a different theme. So they might be on a theme of a film that's been out recently or some music or something like that. So the other 45 squads are not dressed up as Vikings. They have various different costumes that you'll see tomorrow night. And what's your role within tomorrow? Are you, are you part of a squad? Are you going to be in amongst it all? Yeah, I'm in charge of the galley during the day. So we, we leave the shade in the morning uh, with a galley following the Yarl squad. And when the, when the galley goes to the pier, and at night I'll be involved with lighting the torches. I'm one of the marshals in the procession, so I'll be lighting the torches uh, with a flare during the procession, and I'll be following the galley until it's burnt, and then after that, that's my official duties finished, and then I join my own squad and uh, visit all the halls. And what does that entail? Obviously, visiting lots of different halls, but is it different things happen in different halls? Like, what's, what's it all about? Yeah, each squad has an act. They come in and do an act. So there's, if you go to a hall, it's, it starts at nine o'clock at night, lasts till eight o'clock in the morning. And so it's the whole night and the 46 squads come through each hall and do an act based on the, the theme of their suit. And then they dance and each hall lays on supper and food and there's 
might be the occasional drink on the go as well. And what kind of food and drink would it be? Uh, well, it's just the local, uh, the host and hostesses make the foods, usually sandwiches and fancies and whatever, cakes and things, and then there's, there's always soup. So the guys, if it's a bad night and you've been travelling around, you might have gotten a bit wet, so you go in and get warmed up and have some soup and, uh, and maybe the guests take their own drinks with them. So it sounds like a mix of, like, Halloween guys in and also New Year. Like, yeah, like similar to that, yeah. Yeah, it's on an epic scale, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's guys in tradition here at New Year as well, but because of up hell yards at the end of January, New Year is not such a big thing here as it is maybe on the mainland because everybody's getting geared up for Upalia. That's the main event of the winter. So Christmas and New Year is not so important and it's Upalia everybody concentrates on. What's the brief history of it? So it's supposed to be like a Viking ship, right? Yeah, yeah. The Viking theme started way back in the late 1800s. They burnt tar barrels to start with and it became a bit riotous and it was sort of the locals decided to make it more organised. So they had a torchlit procession instead of rolling the tar barrels. And then from then they adopted a Viking theme to reflect the history of the islands. And from then on, that's where the Kaiser Jarl and the Jarl squad started. So it's been going like that for over 100 years. As of last year, women were allowed to join, women and girls, and there'll be girls in the Jarl squad this year. How have people taken to that? Is it quite exciting? Yeah, it was a big debate for a while, but uh, we, as the committee, decided to change the rules uh, just to go with the times. And I think it's been a great development for the festival, far more positive. And last year, as you say, there was was the first year that there was women in the squads. This year is the first time that there'll, there'll be women in the Jarl squad. So it's great to see good development, I would say. Most people are, uh, were quite supportive of our decision to change the rules. And at some point we might see a female Jarl Geyser. Yeah, that's, that's possible. That's possible. It's a long time, as I said before, I joined the committee in 2009 and I'll only be the Geyser Jarl in 2027. So it's a long commitment. So if any girls fancy it, then they're more than welcome. But it's a lot of work, time and effort and money, being honest. So you've been involved with this for most of your life, so could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, my late father was the Geyser Earl in 1978, so I was out with him when I was five years old. And so I've been involved with the all, all my life, literally. And uh, I joined my own squad in 1985 as a fiddlebox carrier when I was 12. And uh, I've been out every year since then, including when I was at university, I used to come home for Opelia. <laughs> so I've never missed a year since 1985. I've been with the same squad the whole time. There's all the social events going on during the year with your squad, so it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to be involved with. Obviously, it's a big part of your life. How important culturally is it for people in Shetland? I would say it's, it's the biggest festival in Shetland all year. It's the highlight of the year for, for, for anybody that's involved with the festival. Not everybody's involved, but certainly for those that are involved, it's definitely the biggest event of the year. And it's, it's great because it's in the middle of winter and it attracts a lot of tourism. When there would be none, I mean, we got a lot of tourists here in the summer when the weather's nice, but January the weather can be a bit windy and rainy sometimes. So it's great for the local businesses as well. You know, visitors come in and uh, eat in the restaurants and they're at the pub and everything else. All the guest houses and hotels are full. So it's, it's really good in that respect. And culturally for the locals, it's, it's something everybody looks forward to during the dark winter months. Sounds like a really nice community thing as well. Like if you've been part of your own squad for so long and you're friends and you'll be excited to be the main attraction at some point. But yeah, you know, you've got people that you've known forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same. Um, a lot of my squad is the same as it was when I joined. You know, the older guys eventually retire and the, the younger guys that have been fiddlebox carriers, you know, they take over the places in the squad. So it's 
a lot of family ties and uh, friends in the same squads. It's, it's great, yeah. <laughs> What's a fiddlebox carrier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fiddlebox carrier. When you first joined the squad at age 12, then you're what's called a fiddlebox carrier. Back in the day, they, a lot of squads had live music, so the fiddler and the accordionist would hand their instruments to the young boys to look after till they went to the next hall. So that's where the term fiddlebox carrier comes from. Now it's more you have to carry props if there's props in the act that you, that you use, or a lot of squads have stereos nowadays, so the fiddlebox carriers are, are uh, in charge of looking after all the props and the music so that the guys in the squad could just enjoy their time in the hall and not have to run back and forth on the bus. So it's basically like an apprenticeship for f three or four years before you become a full squad member. So can you tell us a bit about what your theme might be tomorrow night? My squad tomorrow night is based on the new song that the Beatles recently released. So we're doing that and then we're doing a medley of Beatles songs. So we're all dressed up in Beatles costumes and I'm the captain of the Yellow Submarine. So uh, my props weigh a ton. I've got this submarine to carry around the whole night. So <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> so looking forward to seeing you and singing some Beatles songs tomorrow night. Thank yeah, everybody's welcome to join in. It's a well-known song, so it should be good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, thanks very much. Back to food and drink, I headed along to Muriel, which was hosting a food fair, to meet up with some island producers and businesses to see what is happening on the island. First up, I spoke to Martin Watt, the managing director of Lerwick Distillery, the island's first, set to open this summer. After, you'll hear me chat to Mary Andreas, the finance officer for Shetland Food and Drink. She tells me about traditional island fare like bannocks and dried fish. Plus, she tells me how Shetland Food and Drink supports local businesses. Hi Martin, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. So could you tell us a bit about the distillery? Okay, so plans for a whisky distillery in Shetland are not new. Um, they've probably been bubbling along for about 20 years. We took it forward uh, about six years ago and got nowhere with it. And we picked it up again uh, just over two years ago. And we are now in a position where we are expecting to open uh, this summer. So when you say took it forward and didn't get anywhere with it, was it planning permission or funding or how, how was it working? We actually couldn't find any suitable land uh, within Lerwick because we felt it was quite important uh, to have it situated within the main town in Shetland. And that's primarily because we need to have a good passing trade from the cruise ships, etc. that come into the town. Uh, and what's your background? Have you worked in distilling for a long time or is this a sort of new thing? I'm a chartered accountant. So I've set up and run and sold a number of businesses in the past. This one's slightly different because I have a genuine interest in whiskey. I like drinking it. The idea is to just set something up that hopefully Shetland can be proud of and we can create a number of high quality jobs and hopefully put Shetland on the map for other reasons. In terms of your whiskey, do you know kind of what character it has? Like what, have you, have you got to that point yet? A lot of startup distilleries probably have a lot of trial and error when they open. We've got a huge advantage over a lot of other startup distilleries in that our master distiller, uh, who's a chap called Ian Miller, he's got 50 years experience in whiskey and has been the master distiller a number of high profile distilleries such as Balvenie and Glenfiddich. So we're by no means beginners because we've got him on board with us. He's actually designed uh, our distillery and he's taken on board the character that we want to achieve in terms of the taste of our whisky. So everything is designed around producing a premium quality whisky that will be very palatable. I can't really say what it will be like because 
Whiskey's never been made on Shetland before, and therefore I can't tell you what we don't know. All we've done is line our ducks up so that we know that we've got the best possible chance of creating what we want to create in terms of the palate. And a lot of it comes down to the wood and the maturation. And are you peated, non-peated, going to do a bit of both? Everybody associates peat with Shetland uh, because Shetland is pretty much covered in peat. I can tell you, though, that probably none of our whisky will be peated. We do, however, intend to use uh, what's called a chocolate malt. There isn't any chocolate anywhere near it. It's just uh, barley that's been malted a little bit longer so that it caramelises and it'll give it a, a slightly different taste profile to just normal malted barley. And when I say we'll use chocolate malt, it'll just be a very small proportion of the malt mix that we use going forward. The other reason for not using peat is because uh, it's not environmentally friendly. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. You want to open the distillery in the summer for visitors, so what is the timeline for opening and also for getting your whiskey out there? Our equipment will start arriving in Shetland uh, over the next two or three weeks with our fermenters, our mash tun, our condensers all arriving on the first shipment and then about four weeks after that our stills will, will arrive in Shetland and it'll take us maybe five, six weeks to commission the place. So it'll be a, a very rapid transformation. We hope to have the shop open April, May, and then with the distillery producing June, July. So it's three it's three years and one day before you can call it a whiskey. But the intention is that we will be selling new make spirit from day one. It's going to be called uh, called had still. So had still is a a Shetland phrase to basically hold on until we've got whiskey. Uh, the only way to get our, our our new make spirit will be either by joining uh, one of our bottle club memberships or actually visiting the distillery physically. We're here for Uphelia and could you tell me a bit about your involvement in it over the years and also how important it's going to be for your business? I've actually been involved in Uphelia for 40 years now. Uh, I've missed it once because I was ill uh, and I was in the, lucky enough to be in the Yarl squad last year for the first time. So I'm back out again with my... Uh, normal squad and a few guys have come up to visit you've probably seen that it's, it's quite crazy around the town and I've seen a massive change over the last few years with the, the number of visitors coming in and I think that's just going to increase as time goes on more and more people become aware of it and that kind of underpins what our business plan is for the distillery we've obviously got an influx of visitors at this time of year and therefore uh, we expect to have a significant number of visitors over up LA time during the summer months Lerwick also gets visited by about 150 cruise ships every year with about 150,000 passengers I would estimate coming into the island so again we're kind of geared towards doing tours and tastings and having visitors uh, come into the distillery via that route as well. Well it sounds really interesting so thank you very much we need to come back. You're welcome anytime (laughs) come for a dram. My name is Mary Andreas. I'm the finance officer for Shetland Food and Drink. Okay, so could you just tell us a little bit about Shetland Food and Drink? 
primarily we're a membership organisation, so we have uh, approximately 100 members and the, the, the people range from large companies down to very small companies and we've tried to base our membership so that it can cater for all the different aspects. So you can be a multi-million pound fishing industry or else you could be a small person. We've got something that we call a micro-membership, trying to encourage small groups to get underway and have access to our website and all the, the kind of experiences that we can help small businesses thrive. So um, we try and encompass it across all the different elements of food and drink in Shetland. And we're here now at the Uphelia food market. So how important is that to the sort of food and drink businesses in Shetland? We try and put food markets on at various times through the year. Um, there's usually a large one in October. But for a number of years, we've been running this market for Uphelia and trying to get as many of our members to, to come and show their wares. It's an ideal opportunity for people coming into Shetland to see a little bit about the food and the heritage while they're here on holiday for Uphelia. We love to show off all the things that we have to offer. And today we've got a number of stalls. We've got people demonstrating various things. I was making bannocks earlier on. They're very traditional Shetland. And um, there's somebody in there now making fish dishes. We had somebody actually taking scallops out of their shell and cooking them earlier on. Lots of music too, so we can demonstrate Shetland music as well. So you mentioned the weather there is a bit of a challenge. What are the other kind of challenges that your members might experience being part of an island community? We live in a remote place. I think one of the biggest challenges of getting anything on and off the island is um, transportation. In many ways, it's the same with any island community in Scotland. We are at the mercy of the shipping available to us. And if the weather is bad, the ferries can't operate. And uh, so we need to be more self-sufficient in many ways. We've got a, a dairy, we've got fish, we've got meat, but it's bringing in all the, the vegetables. We have a, a small growing season in Shetland, so an awful lot of our slightly unusual vegetables all have to come in by sea, and um, that probably is one of the basic things. And every year, all the costs of transport goes up, and that all puts challenges to uh, any company trying to export out of the island. And you mentioned earlier, sort of, you did a demonstration of a quite a heritage dish. What would people associate with Shetland from, like, the past? So you know, you've got Aberdeen's got butteries, and you know that. Do you have a version of what's traditional Shetland food? Oh, well, the, the thing that always springs to mind is, in years gone by, if you were trying to store fish or meat over winter, you would have to salt it. So there's something that we call reasted mutton. This is a very traditional thing where they, the meat from the sheep is put into a brine and then it's dried off and, and not quite so much these days, but it used to be hung over a peat fire. So you'd get the smoke from the peat um, and that would dry it out. So it becomes really hard and you can store that for long enough outside any fridge or freezer. Um, and then when you come to use it, you regenerate it, you soak it in water and then that's used for boiling up a pot of soup or something with potatoes and carrots and swede, bit of cabbage. That's all traditional things that, you know, is easily available in Shetland. So that's very traditional. Salt fish, the same way. I can remember my parents salting it in a barrel. It used to be dried off and on a clothesline. You'd go along and you'd see all this fish hanging on a clothesline, which always amuses people. But again, they would become very hard and then you were able to store that for lengthy periods of time. So, yeah, there and then... Bannocks, we had flour. 
Most countries have something unleavened bread, that kind of tradition, naan bread or, or whatever. We would make bannocks using self-raising flour, buttermilk, which was obviously in big supply. And so you'd cook that over a brand iron or a, a hot plate. And now you, people put them in ovens and, and whatever. But the bannock, you'll find that large gatherings, then soup and bannocks is a very easy way of feeding a lot of people. So we make a lot of them. Are we likely to see them at the Upper I would think so, because there'll be a running supper at the halls that are open after the procession, all through the night till 8.30 in the morning. And I would imagine there'll be plenty of bannocks on show there. So they, they should have a running supper. You can just go and any time during the evening, you can go and have a drink and, and go and top up on something to eat just to keep people going. It's, it's great. Looking forward to it. So what are you most excited about in the Shetland food and drink scene just now? But things have certainly been difficult following, well, both Brexit and then COVID. And it's just taken a little while for people to get out and about a little bit more. I think on the food and drink scene, I've been involved for the last few years with Shetland Food and Drink. And what I find the most change in is the fact that now you can go into most of the local shops and you're able to buy Shetland goods. And that, to me, is a huge thing because before you would come to a food market and you think, oh, gosh, I've never seen that before. But now it's so much more open to everybody. And transportation, I, I live in a place called Bigton in the <coughs> south of Shetland, um, and we get bread once a week from the bakery up in Yell, for instance. So it's we're able to move around the island that bit more and find ways of getting goods from one place to another. We have a, a local bus service and sometimes the bus will drop off a box of maybe meat from a butcher or something like that. So I think it's just trying to be more wise about how you can transport things and making sure that all the lovely things that we have available can be shared throughout the island. And can you tell us for people who are not on the island can find out more about Shetland Food and Drink? Well, we have a website, a great website. It's www.tasteofshetland.com. So please go on there, have a look. It gives all the websites, all the information about all our membership. We do have an online shop. The website also has a lot of information. It's got some recipes. It's got some films that we've taken over the years, um, like heritage films too. So trying to make sure that all the, the old um, traditions are kept and um, and you know, catalogued somewhere that people can watch them from anywhere. So we've got some of the food festival footage on there. So yes, anybody interested, please go to the website and and email us if you're anything that you'd like to know that you can't find. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Nice yeah. to meet you. Okay, so in here we've got a room full of volunteers. Some are hostesses. Most of them are hostesses and most of them are family members. Some people that have been involved in Opelia in the past that just love to come for the atmosphere and come to be part of the help. That's Kerry Redfern, a hostess at Sound Primary School, which was preparing for hosting their guests and the squads of geysers. I was intrigued to learn more about the feasting element of the event, so went along to see how preparations were going. 
I'm Kerry Ridefern. I'm a hostess here at the Sound School. The Sound School's been a hall since 1978, the year I was born, and I've been a hostess for 19 years this year. I'm part of a, a committee, if you like, a group of hosts and hostesses. Um, we have uh, 16 of us in total um, that volunteer with time to come and host at this hall for a big party um, to support Ophelia and its festival. Soon School is one of 11 halls in Lerwick um, that we invite our squads and the Geyser Yarrow squad to visit and tour around. They will do an act each, it tends to be something on a local topic or it might just be a dance routine. I, I hear a small rumour that there might be somebody being like Barbie and Ken this year and I have to say I've spotted a few blonde men walking around the tune that are not normally blonde. Each squad is in every hall for approximately an hour. No hall is allowed to be without a squad in it. The squads have to stay until the next squad arrives. We generally tend to find that there's two, three, sometimes four squads in at one time. They come into the hall, they do their act, they have a dance, and then they'll go and socialise, have a, maybe have a pretty dram. We thought that they've no seen since last year. And then their fiddle box carriers, who are local young boys, have the thankless task of rounding up all that squad, getting all the props organised onto the bus and ready to go to the next hall. And so what we do tonight is we try and prepare as much as we can so that we, when we arrive on Tuesday we're good to go. We've got people um, slicing bannocks, buttering bannocks, we've got salt beef, Shetland tradition that goes in with bannocks, very tasty. Um, we've got rolls. We do have a butter shortage, but somebody's gone to get more butter. <laughs> and then we, we also have soup, vegetable soup, lentil soup and tatty soup. There's your salt beef. We'll here to give you a pretty taste of that. You're maybe headed to today. Sausage rolls get heated up. And then we have some more. Shetland delicacy getting chopped up for going in soup for those people that lick it. Um, so it really is a squad of folk that's here just because we love up hell yeah. We want everybody to have a good night and full bellies, basically. I'm going to try some of the salt beef that is going to be available. I'm going to assume that it's made similar to the mutton, so it's salted and then hung to dry, and then obviously it's been chopped up into little bits in a massive bowl. What we do is we put the salt beef chunks into a massive bowl and when we serve the soup it gives um, our guests the option to take a spoonful um, of salt beef and mix it into their soup. It's kind of an acquired taste, Mist Fork love it and we did lots of salt beef but obviously for vegetarians among us they would rather no have it in their soup. We do have lamb in the, in what lentil soups it's made it with a lamb but this is obviously to pr provide a meat free option for those that don't like meat. Um, but this is kind of a staple. Uh, salt beef and soup and bannocks, you can't beat it on a cold night. And the bannocks, so they're sort of like puffed up, they look like puffed up potato scones, but you've got them again in little big boxes and it's amazing to see because we, we can't buy that. I couldn't go into a bakery in Glasgow and buy that, so... No, no, they're very unique to Shetland. We, our local bakeries are very good. Supporting the local economy as well, kind of, we're all helping each other and I think that's really important for this kind of festival, if you like, that we're all working together and supporting each other because it's done a lot for Shetland. Do you serve anything sweet as well or is it just savoury? Well, you can have a cup of tea without a fancy. So what we do as hostesses, our shares, we all bake six dozen home bakes. And we take them along on the night and they get served. It's just really what each hostess's talents are. You might have a 
bar of tiffin, you might have a scone, you might have chocolate fudge cake. It's just a, a real mix of things. But that's one thing we do do ourselves is we do our bacon. So how many people are you catering for between guests and Yarrow Squad? I suppose you'll, you'll kind of know a number because you kind of have to. Yeah, so we came that we've got 250 guests that we invite to the hall. Um, we know that there's 46 squads, um, that's including the Arrow squad, and we kind of generally know that the numbers of geysers. Um, missed years, there's over 940 geysers, so again, because this hall's been on the go for so long, it, it, you just kind of came what you're catering for. It can depend on the weather, how much food you go through and how quickly you go through it. Um, last year was quite a mild year, so we managed to string our soup out till the early hours of the morning, whereas the year before was a quite a poor night um, and our soup ran out really quickly because everybody was wanting warmed up. It tends to be that non-locals maybe fade away about two o'clock in the morning. Um, and it can, if you're aware of when the Yarl squad are coming, sometimes that can be a bit of a, a, a key to hold them in the hall for longer, I suppose. So how many people are involved in preparing the food for this hall? Well, we have what we call eight shares. So a share is made up of a couple, and then each share just kind of asks family and friends to come along. So effectively, we've got 16 people on a committee, I suppose, if you would like. And then everybody tries to bring as many hands as they can to help us because we're not only setting up for the food preparation side of things. This is obviously a school building, so we need to get our hall prepared for geysers and guests to come, but also respect the fact that this is a working building and there will be 300 pupils here tomorrow going about their normal day. So we have to set up in stages. We came on Saturday morning to decorate our hall, put up our flags, hang up previous Yarrow's shields. We set up a stage, we get chairs doing. Um, we need to be mindful that at eight o'clock on Thursday morning, this is a school again. Um, so we have to leave the building exactly as we fund it. So we go all through Tuesday night. Most guests will be left by about half eight in the morning. Um, we then get off our glad rags, put on our loungewear and we start to clean. Last year, most of us got home about 11.30 a.m. Sounds like an epic night. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is that, but it, it's it's really special. It's nice to be a part of it. I'm a Shetlander born and bred. What are your hopes for Uphelia this year? Oh, I just I I just want everybody to have a good night. It's such good fun. You get up, to, you get to meet up with folk that we've not seen since last Uphelia. Just want everybody to be happy and dance the night away. Sounds good. You're very welcome to join us. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Kerry was right about non-locals slipping away as the night went on. But we managed to keep going until 3am, which I don't think is bad for a beginner. Back to the food fair now, and I chatted to Nicola Johnston about her unique confectionery business, Island Larder. You can find her on TikTok, where she's been making a splash in recent times. Check her out there or on other social media if you want to know more. Following Nicola, you'll hear from Mark Turnbull of Shetland Real Distillery, who talks about their gin and its special Uphelia bottling. So could you tell us a little bit about your business, like how it came to be and the type of products that you have? Yeah, so I was 14 year old and I worked in the Island Larder, which was formerly Kent as the Shetland Fudge Company. And I had my first ever Saturday job there and I fell in lovely everything chocolate. 
bit more so I loved the visitors that came and got to try a piece of chocolate so yeah really proud to be part of that experience for them and then as time went on and I got more involved in the business I saw the potential for not just the product but the business itself and in 2014 me and my husband bought our The Shetland Fudge Company and it wasn't until 2020 when we rebranded to be Island Larder where we still manufacture a bigger range of products. Can you tell us about some of the products and you're, are you making them all as well? Yeah, so we make everything by hand in a really peery kitchen which is on our premises. Uh, so we make chocolate fudge, we're world famous puffin poo, we're gourmet marshmallow, we make Shetland ice cream, we're the only producers that make Shetland ice cream US and Shetland milk and cream. And then we've got a Scottish tablet. Could you tell us a little bit about the Shetland Real Gin Company? We were formed in 2014. The company has four directors, two couples, Debbie and Frank Strang and Wilman Stuart Nickerson. Stuart is an expert in whisky and that was our aim at the start, to produce whisky. But we needed like £5 million and it had to sit about and no returns. and So gin was just taken off at that time. So we decided we'd go down the gin route. And the original, that was our first one, and then we branched out to the ocean scent this summer. And now we have nine gins, and we produce a Napelia gin, different limited edition every year, and it's usually cask-aged. It's been 57% Navy strength in the past, but going forward from 2019, it's been 40%. Zesty essence aged in a port cask. So that's, that's this year's one. So I'm going to try some. While I'm trying it, do you want to tell us a bit about this one? And where you get your ideas, obviously cask age, you're going to get cast from somewhere. And is it a big seller for you? We sell out that Pelias every year. It's a limited edition. Once it's done, it's done. And as I said, in the past, we've done Navy strength, 57%. But from 2019 forward, it's like 40% now. This year's one is our Zesty Gin, which is a lemon gin aged in a port cast for three months and then reduced to 40% and then bottled. This is the only one we use wax for the caps. The other ones are polylaminates for the normal gins and things. So that's that's the one here and it's got the Viking in the label in the, in the background and it's a nice pink colour, that's with a port. But they're all different, we've done ones with whiskey, sherry, rum. So we've done a lot of different ones in Ocean Scent and just a combination. Next year will be the 10th year and they'll be looking to do something special next year, maybe change the bottle, change the label, change the appearance, but they'll probably do more bottles next year because it's a like an anniversary or it might go back to the 57%, but it's a good set, they always sell out. It's really nice, it's really, uh, you can tell that it's quite fresh and it's, you can tell the lemon through it and yeah, it makes a very nice gift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people buy them and, and just keep them, don't even open them. <laughs> Because <laughs> they've kept them every year. And there's probably lots of people got nine nine of these gins sitting unopened and they don't want to open one because that's a collection. So are you sticking to the gin or do you think there will be plans to eventually move into other spirits? We've, we've done whiskey before but we haven't made whiskey. We've got a blend made for us and it was five Speyside malts and one Isla. Slightly smoky, slightly peaty. And then the, the Whiskey Bible, it was like rated like 93 out of 100, so really popular. But post-COVID, the price of the blend went up like three times. And it was £36 a bottle. You could have charged 100 so we're sort of priced out of it. But it was popular and it always sold. 
if the price comes down, we might go back into it, but maybe making whisky ourselves, it'd be an awful big outlay for the amount of time you've got to wait to get a return back. But that was the original aim right at the start. But it was just too much, too much investment was needed. So if people want to buy your Upheli Gin, can they buy it online or do you yes, have it here? You can buy it online and it'll be posted anywhere in the United Kingdom. Well, thanks very much. You're welcome. Hi, yes, I'm Johnny Sanderson. I am the head brewer at the Lerwick Brewery. We've been on the go for about uh, 10 years now. Um, the brewery itself was initially founded by um, a trio of brothers. The, the three brothers um, had inherited a, actually a gas supplies company from their father a number of years previous to the brewery um, starting up. We're up on a hill and um, they moved the gas supplies business down the hill to us just next door to a nice shiny new building and they basically left behind this sort of, uh, kind of like an old uh, tin shed, basically. And so rather than like, let it fall kind of derelict, let it fall apart, they thought, how could we pump a little bit of new life into it and have a little bit of fun with it? And they basically all looked at each other and went, well, we all like beer. And uh, they started up the Lerwick Brewery. And so obviously you make the beers, so could you tell us a bit about the different beers that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the... First two beers that were ever created at the Lerwick Brewery were uh, the 60 Degrees North um, and Skipper's Ticket. Um, 60 Degrees North being a sort of German-styled uh, lager, quite malt forward, fairly straight to the point and quite accessible. And then the Skipper's Ticket there is like an old-fashioned kind of English pale ale. 60 Degrees North is the first beer we ever made and still to this day remains our most popular. Our most recent release is for Apelia and for this year we have created a very very straightforward lager so whilst the 60 degrees north is a very kind of hearty very malty this is quite light it's the lightest beer we've ever produced in terms of color in terms of kind of body and things like that as well it is very very light almost no hops in it at all it's very very easy drinking sounds good so we're also at the table here we've got some things that i thought were hand warmers um, <laughs> i think i've been watching the traitors for too long <laughs> Somebody with very thin wrists, yeah. So we've got beer cozies here, stubby holders, I think, as the Aussies like to call them when they come over. And some of them as well, particularly these can holders to go on our cans of the Apelia lager. We've got different Apelia designs, so some with sort of galleys on them, Viking galleys, and then also with just Vikings themselves on them. These ones here, the bottle covers are all kind of Fair Isle themed, and these are all made in Shetland by a, by a local knitwear artist. <laughs> Where can people buy all your produce our website delivers to most of the uk we're hoping to be in more supermarkets and things over the sort of coming years so your best bet is to buy from our website if you're if you're outside of shetland within shetland it's it's a little easier to get from the local shops and things like that well thank you very much okay nice to speak to you thank you cheers thanks to johnny sanderson at larwick brewery for talking to me about his beers my final encounter at the food fair was a very tasty one I met David Parham, owner of the Handmade Fish Co, who has been cold smoking Shetland salmon for over 25 years in his own custom-built smokers. David uses sawdust from carefully selected oak logs from the north of Scotland to smoke the fish, and I can tell you this, he is a details man. The salmon was absolutely delicious. David is very passionate about his product, producing only small quantities with a work ethic akin to that of a high-end Japanese sushi bar. I've got a little shed that I've turned into a tasting room and uh, you should come for a tasting and then get the full 
if you came to the smokehouse and saw my view, there's a kind of a Shetland saying that uh, if you're going to build a house in Shetland, build it somewhere with a view. I'm being very, I'm being very mean. No, it's fine. But, uh, okay. This is the tail cut, so it, it's it's very much, it's quite salty. It's quite dry because it is such a thin cut, and there's not much fat in the tail end either. So it's not really the best one to have as a first nibble of, of your smoked salmon. That, that uh, um, you're better off somewhere around the middle or going towards the head end. It tastes really good though, you say that, but it's, it's lovely. You can really, it's really gentle kind of wood fire smoke you can get off it, and it's nice and soft and... Yeah, I, thought I, would, I, would, I would eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have our favourite bit. I'll say the most commercial bits would be the middle cuts. And for me, they're actually not terribly exciting. I think that most of the folk that come from tasting sessions actually prefer like the head, the tail or the belly. Belly's a love-hate because it's really salty, really fatty and really smoky. And uh, yeah, as I said, it's so strong that, that uh, it's, it's a love-hate. It's amazing how many different flavours. You, you can get at least four different flavours and textures out of a side of salmon. It's, it's never just a side of salmon. I know, who knew? That's really interesting. If I'm doing like scrambled eggs, then what you're eating, the tail cut with the scrambled eggs, but salmon on the side, never mixed in. I like that. Just for a nibble, it probably has to be the bellies. But this size here, like a centimetre square or something like that, we, we, we dram, uh, it works very well. But, and for my smoked salmon, it's, it's not for having with meals and stuff. It is for, it's just for sitting quietly, really, and, uh, and, and just tiny little nibbles, and then a wee dram, and then another, another bit to eat. A perfect serve. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can find out more about David Salmon at handmadefish.com. I thought I would give you a taster of some sounds from the rest of the festival. First you'll hear from the main man himself, the geyser yarrow, Richard Moore, who I managed to grab for a very quick word on the big day. You'll also hear producer Kelly speaking to some of the women who for the first time this year are part of the Yarrow squad. We hope someday in the not too distant future to see a female take up the role of Geyser Yarrow. It's been quite a long day, you've been up really early. How is it feeling now that it's five o'clock and it's getting to the point of it, the big event? It uh, feels, doesn't feel like five o'clock to be honest, it feels a bit lunchtime. Um, yeah, we've had a busy schedule, there's a lot to, to visit and places to go, um, but it's just been fun, really enjoyable and uh, exciting. Uh, so many people to see, so excited and it's a privilege and, a, and an honour to be uh, leading the event this year. And uh, how does it feel to have your daughter and nieces along, because that's obviously the first time? Yeah, it's good, I mean it's, it's a family event and uh, we changed the rules and it gave them the choice to participate. One of my daughters said yes, another one said no, she wanted to, to participate from the other side. So. It's uh, it's an opportunity and, and it's uh, exciting, yeah. So they're they're all they're both having special days and it's the days that they, they wanted to participate with, so it's good. Yeah. And how does it feel to be the guys in your Because you'll have known this is coming for a while and now it's actually happening. Uh, so there's a bit that's surreal in that it's actually here. Um, but it's a real privilege to be honest. It, and it's uh, an honour. I'm really uh, humbled by the well wishes and uh, the help that we've had. But, yeah, it's 
It's been good fun, hard work, but uh, very proud of what the, the squad has made and delivered. It's, our suit is entirely handmade from raw materials. We've purchased very little, just the decoration that's on the shield and some brooches, everything else um, we've made from scratch. So. And just really quickly, is there a, a theme and a reason for the theme? Because it looks quite sea-themed. Sea yeah, so um, from our house we look out onto the sea and I quite like the, the blue colour when the sand and the, the sea stirs up. It's quite a nice and striking colour. Um, the, the design that's on the cloaks, um, on the shields and the axes is a griffin-based design that was created by a local artist, Dirk Robertson, and we took that and kind of carried that theme throughout the suit. Yeah. Thank you very much. What's your name? <laughs> uh, Sana. I'm Richard's niece. How has your day been going so far? What is it like to be the, one of the first women in the Earl squad? Um, my day's been going good. It's very exciting to be able to take part of this and be one of the first women in the Earl squad. You've been preparing for a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, he's had how many years? 16 years. We've been 16 uh, years. waiting to get to this point, so it's a, it's a special day. Yeah. And what are you looking forward to about the rest of the day? Well, I mean, I've been enjoying the processions and I'm just excited for the evening when we get to burn the galley and stuff. And you're a part of the Earl Squad as well. What's your name? Uh, Trevor. Trevor, how's your day been going so far? Oh, it's really, really good. I mean, uh, we're just looking, we're very blessed to hear the conditions we're getting. So uh, we're going to cross our fingers at hopes throughout the, the evening and through the night as well. So. What's your name? Zara Crossan. What have you been looking forward to about today? Uh, seeing my friends today, because oh, I've got a lot in the schools in Lowick, so I want to see them. What school are you from? Tingwall School. So you'll see them later on today? Uh, yeah. So you have a long tunic and then a wool cloak yeah, in the kind of an aqua colour. The lasses say a bit more jewellery than the rest. Uh, they don't have so much leather work in terms of our uh, breastplates that we're carrying today. But still a formidable axe and shield. Oh yeah, yeah. they're definitely equipped. <laughs> I think they I think they look like wonderful warriors. Congratulations, enjoy your day. Thank Thanks, you very you much. Too. Well done, you guys. too. Thank you. That's the sound of the flares going off and torches being lit at the start of the procession before the 900 plus geysers snake their way around the route to their final destination and the burning of the galley. So the galley's on fire now, they're still throwing torches on, as you can imagine there's 900, there's a lot, um, and you can hear crackling from the flames of, uh, of the massive fire and the brass band's been playing and they're back playing again. It's pretty uh, spectacular. I don't think many folk have seen this large a vessel be put on fire before. <laughs> Thank you to Adam Civico, Robert Geddes, Promote Shetland and all our contributors on the podcast. We finish as we started with the Uphelia song being sung by the geysers around the focal point of the festival, the burning of the galley, with local girl Jasmine Hendrick singing along beautifully, reminding us what this event is all about, community and camaraderie.